0: close up, on the face of
1: a man sleeping peacefully. His eyes snap open. (coughs) The camera pulls back to reveal him lying in a pile of black sand. This is Edward. We watch as he stands naked in the center of a giant black cavern lit only by
0: a single beam of light. He shields his eyes as he looks up at what seems to be the only way out. Is there is there
1: Suddenly, there is movement. Who's
0: there?
1: He backs up slowly, afraid.
0: Who's there? Show me.
1: The darkness
0: responds.
1: My name is Mike Petchy and what you've been listening to is a small moment from my new sci-fi horror film 12 Kilometers. It's a project that took over three years to conceive and create. Now that's hundreds of complicated little steps accomplished over thousands of tiny little moments. That is what filmmaking is to me. It's an art form that is a collection of life experiences, a calculated series of steps completed one at a time. It requires patience, focus, and living a life surrounded by the process. This podcast is a meditation of sorts, a deep look into the steps that I've taken to be a filmmaker and photographer. We'll talk to other filmmakers, musicians, writers, technicians, and maybe even a few chefs, basically any artist consumed by their craft. I invite you to join me as we dig deep into how to create, how to stay inspired, and most importantly, how to fall in love with the process. Good morning, and welcome to the first episode of uh, In Love With The Process. Uh, today I'm hanging out with my new assistant, Dave Apostolides. Uh Dave is doing an internship with me for this year for your film course, right?
0: Yeah, um, it's actually cool because I get to take the place of a course at school. Pretty pumped about it.
1: (laughs) Hopefully, I'll give you some good experience. Here's your first tip. When we're recording anything, interviews or whatnot, shut your phone off. That is a (laughs) great tip. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, this is perfect, actually, because I'm excited to have you work with this podcast. Uh, It'll give you a chance to sort of hear stories from uh, some of my friends, other professionals, um, and hopefully it'll just round out your learning experience in general. Um, so, let's just get to it today. Today I just really wanna just sort of get to know you, uh, have us get to know each other, um, and I wanna know what it is that you are working on right now and what it is that you have worked on, and then ultimately, you know, where, where do you wanna be? Like, where are you headed towards? You know what I mean?
0: Cool, yeah. Um, I mean, what I've worked on so I just started a film club at school. Uh, that started last semester and at first it was kind of daunting because I have all these, I'm a junior here, so I have all these like younger freshmen and sophomores coming in, you know, trying to learn from me who's still trying to learn myself. Um, so, you know, it's, in a way it's sort of like the blind leading the blind, but maybe I'm like just legally blind. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's still the blind leading the blind at this point yeah <laughs>
1: I think I think no matter what um I, I heard an interview with uh Clint Eastwood and he's like in his late 80s at this point mid late 80s uh and he's still learning about the business and he's still trying to figure out the process so I think you're always gonna feel like you're the blind
0: leading the blind yeah. <laughs> um it's been going good though and we produced a couple short films uh, last semester we did some uh, commercial work around school which was cool because it you know gets people in the in the thought process of working with clients Um, and right now i'm working on a political documentary set to shoot in the summer so we're doing some of the preliminary work with that so is it
1: is it a traditional sort of sit-down, talking head kind of documentary? Or is it experimental?
0: Or? Uh, ideally, we'd like to do a little bit of traveling, whether that's around the U.S. or maybe to um, you know, Canada or Mexico. Those are like our reach goals. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about exploring different cultures, really, is at the, the base of it and how people view America.
1: Well, let me ask, let's go back to the core element here, and I think probably the most important element why do you want to become a filmmaker?
0: I think something that really jumps out at me is it, it combines two of my biggest passions, which is one was just watching movies growing up, and two uh, it was music. And music is really what kind of got me into it because I used to love listening to uh, soundtracks for movies. And I was like, hey, well, you know, I like soundtracks. I like, I like watching movies, so why not combine them? So I took a... Um, Took a film course in high school and then another in college, and uh, I, I really was amazed and impressed with how you know how much emotion you could convey in a, a story you were trying to tell. So that uh, that's really what kind of turned me on to to trying to get into the business.
1: Hmm. And uh, ultimately, are you, is it essentially? So what you're saying is that you're passionate about film, like you really love watching movies, is? I guess what I'm trying to ask, in probably the rudest way possible, is uh, I I think there's a lot of reasons why people uh, do this business. And I think that uh, some folks are in it uh, because they genuinely love to tell stories, and then there are folks that are in it because they're looking for a way to impress the people that are around them, and some folks are in it for like some sort of uh, emotional stuff. And and I'm not naysaying any of it, but it just sort of uh, puts me in the right place with you, understanding... You know what it is that you want to get out of it and uh, you know ultimately what makes you happy about it because I think the the process of becoming a director becoming a film, filmmaker is such a long uh, sometimes disappointing um, most of the time pretty damn rewarding process but it takes a long time and I think that if your outlook and your passion is in storytelling and I think if your passion is and uh, interest is in the lifestyle, um, I could tell you that you're probably going to be a bit happier going through that long run. Um, So yeah, that really wasn't a question. That was more of a statement. Uh, But, you know, and you don't really have to answer that. But I just think that you may want to consider as you're going through this whole process, and you may have already, you know, what is the reason why you want to do it? Because you're, ultimately going to be giving up a lot of things you know you're you're gonna be giving up money you know for a long time and maybe forever you know what I mean um, but you're also going to be giving up a lot of your spare time and a lot of your free time um, and then the question arises when you start to get into uh, relationships and family and, and all that sort of stuff so really think about it for a while and decide as you're going through this process of learning all these techniques and getting in all these places, just reference that core goal of yours. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I think I get what you're asking. And it's it's good advice because no one really told me that when I was you know, starting to take these courses and whatnot. Um, I, I think for me, the best way I can describe it is I am in love with the way that I feel when I watch a good movie. So if I could... Recreate that for somebody else That's what inspires me to try and, and get into the business.
1: That's a, that's awesome. You know, there's nothing better than um, Designing a moment and I know for me when I took my first film theory course And I I, di- I didn't take it because I thought I was gonna be a filmmaker Honestly, I took it because I needed some credits, you know, and I was like, oh, well, I'll just take I'll take this course on, on movies Because what am I doing? I'm just watching movies and I'm right. getting a bunch of credits And I remember uh, the first class, I sat in this theater um, and, you know, they played Citizen Kane for me. And I know Citizen Kane blows everybody's minds, but it does so intentionally. It's such a, a perfect example of the craft, of mastering that craft, you know. And as I sat there and I watched this whole film, and then we all had a conversation about it afterwards, it dawned on me. It was like someone pulled the veil out. From in front of my eyes, I, I actually got to see the the guy behind the curtain, and I was like, "Holy shit, someone is actually in charge of picking out the outfits for this. I didn't even think about that. And someone is in charge of recording sound, and someone is in charge of what the pictures look like and and how do they even capture the pictures? Because I was so blissfully in that uh, audience mentality where it was another reality. I would sit down and watch this thing. And this is, you know, pre. YouTube. This is back when uh, there wasn't so many behind the scenes and the audience wasn't, you know, freaking out over whether or not it was CGI or a reality. I mean, when we went and saw Jurassic Park when we were kids, I, my, my first question was like, how the fuck did they grow dinosaurs? You know what I mean? Like, that's how blissfully ignorant I was about film. And so when I started uh, that course and, and we started to talk about these classics and, and he started to point out the craft behind the film, and then you start to acknowledge, like, "Hey, look! When I feel this, I feel this because of the music. I feel this because of the performance. I feel this because of the camera angle and the color, and all this stuff." And, and my brain just sort of like, like expanded, and my heart swelled for it because uh, I had grown up loving comic books and thinking that I was going to become a comic book illustrator. Uh, and then I, I didn't get into film school because I'm a terrible student. And you'll you'll get that by my vocabulary and what a dumbass I am. But um, I, uh, after that, I went to work for a music store and I started to listen to music and started to play music for my friends. And I was really excited about introducing new sounds because I really liked the emotional connection that everybody had when they sat around and listened to an album. So I thought at that point that I was going to get into radio. So I ended up going to school for radio broadcast. And the first time that I had my own radio show, which was like a three o'clock in the morning, you know, public access program, uh, I got into a fight with the program manager there because they had all the CDs on the shelf and each CD had a little tiny colored dot on it. And he would say at every top of the hour, every 15 minutes, you play all the CDs with a green sticker. You know, bottom of the hour, you can play all the CDs with a red sticker. And I remember saying to him, what the fuck do you need me for, you know? And then this was, once again, this was pre-iTunes. This was pre-any of that stuff. And they had just come out with like, uh, I think it was like Sonique. There was like a couple of MP3 players that just come out on the market. I remember saying to the guy like, what the fuck, dude? Like if, if there isn't a personal touch on this, then what's the difference between me and some computer programming, all this sort of stuff? And he's like, well, you know, there's years of tradition. It just walked out. You know what I mean? I was out of there. And, and thankfully I did because then radio has thus sort of plummeted. And really now people are just listening to Spotify, which is just a curated computer program list that, that runs all this stuff. So I'm on a tie. Right? Let me bring it back. Uh, <laughs> so my point is, is that I had that same sort of uh, uh, realization when I started to watch these films that it encompassed everything that I love, music and imagery and uh, framing and uh, composition. But more importantly, it, there's something great about sharing with people. And whether or not you're sharing a meal, I love cooking for people. Sharing a meal is a wonderful way of like sharing emotional, an emotional story. Or if you're sitting over beers or over a Zoom recorder like we are right now, uh, there's something really cool about giving to people And learning from people Um, and I feel like that's what filmmaking can do at its peak and if you're in it for the love of storytelling and you're in it for the love of the of the art form itself and the language of cinema um, then I think you'll be happy and you can envelop that into your lifestyle and I can show you how I do that but um, if you're in it because you want to be that guy standing in front of a crowd of people with your arms crossed going, "Look what I fucking did." Then you're going to be miserable going through the whole process to get there, and then when you are there, and let's pretend like it's the best thing in the world. You're only hot for like what? A month? A week? That night? And then it's gone again,
0: and you're back at square fucking one.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: So, how did you how did you get started really? You know, I mean you have like the insight's great now and it's it's really good for someone like me to hear this stuff you know as I'm just starting out but like put yourself back in my shoes like where do you go now so I'm a junior going to graduate next year like what are your what are your steps I guess you know what's your uh, your direction
1: um I would say what what I did is I didn't go to a traditional school I ended up going to a film course, I went to New York Film Academy, and we can get into more about that, but um, for me, before I was a film student, I worked a lot of really awesome blue collar jobs. So I was like a, a car mechanic for a while, I was an airplane mechanic for a while. I painted houses. Um, and so as a young kid, I really learned the camaraderie and the crew mentality. and. Coming out of film class, I learned that there were all these other positions, all these other key positions that I needed to know more about, uh, especially if I thought I was going to be a director, because to me, a director is like the guy who runs a submarine, you know he 's the captain of a submarine, you know and he needs to know what everybody on that ship does. He needs to know that when he calls out a command to do something, it will take this much time and this many people and all that sort of stuff. Um, And so my first step was really trying to learn everything that is involved with making movies. Um, I got out of school immediately and directed my second short film, my second big short film, uh, and worked on rallying together the creative people in my hometown. and, And learned, at the time I was living on Cape Cod, and I learned down there that my resources were really slim Um, and I eventually moved up to the city. I moved up to Boston because there was a small film community up here in Boston and I made sure to embed myself with them immediately, you know, um, which is kind of what you're doing right now, which is a, which is a great step. And then, uh, I just, whenever I worked on a film set, I started very small and I, I got in as an assistant or I got in as a lighting technician Uh, And whenever I worked with these folks, I would always make time to figure out what they were doing. Because when you're on a film set, there's so much spare time. There's so much downtime. It's usually like, hurry the fuck up and go, 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 go. And then you sit around for like you know two hours while they're trying to figure this shit out. So I would get on a film set as an assistant for lighting tech or like a grip. And then I would go over and hang out with the sound mixer and throw on a set of headphones and listen to... What the performances sounded like, and I would watch how he mic'd people up and how he actually communicated with the director. Um, so, long story short, the best way to learn about how movies are made is to physically go out and get on sets and do that, or go out and become an intern for uh, like a production company, or uh, go out and become uh, an assistant for a producer, or. Uh, finding a director is pretty tough sometimes because directors are pretty secluded. But um, just get out there and see how it works. And if you are going to go out and do a PA, a lot of people look down on PAs. And and I think that that position is one of the best to be in because essentially uh, you're almost invisible. So you can go wherever it is that you need to go. But you're also completely relied upon, especially in emergency situations or, you know, hey, we, uh, we need you to go get this because the whole set shut down or, uh, you know, that asshole in the window won't shut the fuck up and it's costing me money. Can you go convince somebody to stop talking? Um, it's, it's a great place to be because you can learn a lot, you know?
0: Yeah. So that's a lot of like real world experience and that's, you know, it's hopefully what I'm going to be doing more and more of. What did you take away from school most? From school? Uh, well,
1: when I went to school in New York, um, it was a weird situation for me because I, um, I went to, to learn how to be a filmmaker in a city that I didn't have any connections in. And so it forced me to become a producer. And so I think when I went to my school, they taught me how to use a camera. I shot like 16 millimeter black and white film. And uh, I also edited with Steamback, so I, I learned how to cut the old way, which I still utilize that because when you're cutting film, you're, it's such a pain in the ass to do cuts that you're actually pre-planning your edit more so than now when you're on a nonlinear edit system where you can do whatever the fuck it is that you want to do. So there's a lot of little techniques that I, that I still use all the time, but the biggest one really was how to stay self-motivated, how to be a producer, and how to get things from people when you have no money.
0: Uh, And I use that stuff weekly. (laughs) Yeah. I think motivation's a big one. Um, You know, just like judging off of like my peers at school and, um, you know, the kids my age that are trying to, you know, kind of find their way. uh, Motivation's tough, man. It's like, it, it's just, for me, it's like, you know, it's like that never-ending battle. So and I'm, you know, I'm just getting started. So, like, what do you do? Like, if you hit, like, a big roadblock, and, like, how do you keep yourself, how do you overcome that? What do you do for motivation?
1: Motivation is tough. I mean, there's that whole, uh, do I go to work today or do I sit and binge on a Netflix series? Or, you know, do I sit down and work on a script today or do I go out and have beers with somebody else The biggest motivation for me ultimately is fear. Straight up. Like every day that I don't have to go back to being a car mechanic, every day that I don't have to go back to being a house painter, uh, I have to earn every day that I'm not doing that. You know? And so I have constantly sort of buzzing in the back of my head daily what have you done today? Like, What is it that you've done to be a better director today? Because in the long run, the only person that's going to make me a a director is myself. Um, And if you're not working for a company, if you're not working for uh, in a nine to five position where you have to show up and you have to like actually create shit or or finish a task, it's really fucking hard to stay motivated. One thing that I do all the time that is so simple is I wake up in the morning and I write out a to-do list, and it's the dumbest thing in the world, but it fucking works. Because you just you make a list of shit that you got to get through the day, and often that list is something that you can't accomplish because it's way too much. Um, And my advice is don't put lofty shit on your day-to-day list like. Today, become a director. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like mix your list up with stuff that you got to get done. Like I got to cut a reel or, you know, I got to do some research on this character. Or I got to spend some time social networking and trying to get a job for the portion of the day. But also, I got to go to the bank today and deposit some money. I got to, you know, I got to call my mom. You know what I mean? So that way you have a list that you can get through. And by like, you know, seven o'clock at night, you're, you feel like you've accomplished most of that list. But I think it's almost a metaphor for how to make a big project. Ultimately, you're taking the big goal, which is being a director, and breaking it down into the tiniest tasks, and then daily working on those tasks. And if you're, if you're making t- baby steps, to get to that point, then you know, five years go by and, and you're five years closer to doing it. You know?
0: I think that's a, a good point to not put the lofty stuff on there, because you start, you, know, you have this, you know, be a director, you know, like make a film today. Well, well then you look at that and you're like, shit, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but I mean, it's already hard enough, so why, why, why put roadblocks up for yourself? Mm-hmm.
1: And I think a lot of people do that. A lot of people uh, don't know how to process that fear, because that fear is real. And that fear is going to kick in, especially when you're relying upon it to make you money, which is a big fucking thing. And then uh, having to make rent and having to survive. Uh, If you're not lucky enough to sort of make money doing it in the business, it starts to become a fucking roadblock for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then people get all crazy about their lists because then they're like, well, shit, I've, I've only got like, you know, three hours to do this today, so I, I got I to gotta make it. And you're like, okay, dude, just chill out. Break it down into the simple, simple, simple tasks. And then just do each one of them. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And it's, a lot of times I find myself, uh, like, sort of like fighting myself on that mentality. Because in in a sense, it's like intuitive to know that like yes, my goal is to become a director. My goal is to make a film, but I can't do that today. So you know that, but it, it it's like you feel like or for me at least, I'm almost like a, like sort of running out of time, or like you know stuck like behind the eight ball. And it's like, well, I gotta just I gotta do this, and it's it, it's stressful, man. And um, hold on, how old are you? Twenty. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously,
1: I. I it's just, there, there is no such. I mean, the only we're all behind the eight ball, and that eight ball is fucking death, man. You know what I mean? Like, like it, the the cool thing about filmmaking, if you look at like Ridley Scott, right? Blade Runner, Alien, uh, Duelist, uh, fucking The Martian. That guy has got a list of movies that. Uh, is awe inspiring. And if you look at his IMDb page, he always has a queue of like four or five projects that are coming down the pike. And you're like, holy shit. And if you were to look at his list and not understand his history, you're like, man, this guy must have been directing since he was like 20. He started at like 40, like 40, 41 or something like that. And granted, he had done like 2,000 commercials beforehand where he was able to practice his techniques and do all that kind of shit. But he started at 40 which is like 2 years from now for me and that's where you start so it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there and honestly if you go through that entire process and only make one really good fucking movie that life process is worth it and all of that stuff is really worth it you know what i mean so I, yes i understand that fear you just got to rationalize it and go okay it, it, it's like being afraid of the dark at that point. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's fucking, it's stupid and there's really nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, well, here's a question for you. So, do you consider yourself a director?
0: Uh, I consider myself uh, not totally knowing right now. Um, right now, I'm, in a, I'm at a point where I'm still trying to learn about each Job that you know is required to to make a successful film or production or documentary or whatever you want to call it. Um, honestly, I I would like uh, post a lot. I like post because you know in the projects that I've done in the past, my buddy and I have kind of split uh, directorial duties um, just because we don't really have a whole crew there, so we got to do like everything. And I like post because you know he he was the DP and he shoots everything, but You know, when I sit down to to edit, I kind of have control over how the pieces come together to tell that story. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm still learning, but that's kind of what I like about Post right now.
1: Okay. So then, would you, do you think that you could put on a business card that you're an editor at this point? It's a loaded question. Yeah. (laughs) It's a loaded question. It's a trick question. And... The answer is that yes, you can. Like I've seen the movie that you guys have done. It's great, you know, and I've seen your skills so far working with you on the short amount of time that we worked on it. My point is, is that when you decide that you're going to be a director or you decide that you're going to be an editor, then you have to start thinking that you are one and you have to start thinking that this is my goal and this is what I'm doing and and this is what. I might get paid for it or, or not, but no matter what, I am this now. Mm-hmm. And I think that mindset will put you on the right uh, path to get there. And, and granted, you're a young director or, or you're learning and you're still figuring it out. But if you were to sit in a room with people, and I've seen your guy's uh, a documentary that you did, um, you're, you can sit there and
0: go, I'm a director.
1: Because you've done it and you've made that decision to do so.
0: So d- for you, does that happen? When, when does that happen? Like when can you say, you know, you know, like I- I'm, I'm there, I'm a director, I'm an editor? Like when? As soon as you set out to do it, I think. And then you have to prove it. So you can say,
1: look, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a director. I'm a director. This is what I'm doing. And as soon as you start the process of doing that, as soon as you start putting things together, as soon as you start... Uh, editing, as soon as you start on uh, dealing with on set and capturing footage and, and creating these pieces, then you are a director at that point. You might be an amateur director, you might be a student director, but you're a director. And I think more than anything, it's not about having that badge to impress people. It's about having that mindset in your own brain mm-hmm. where you go, this is what I do, man. Uh, and and that, that helps you get over so many of those roadblocks. Where you're like, ah, I'm really not a director. I'm not good enough to be a director. I don't have any good stories, and I don't, know, you know, all that shit. Like, this idea really isn't good enough. And like, the, these are all these things that just come in and bog people down. And it's almost like this swamp of insecurity that they have to sludge their way through. And I think the best way to get through that stuff is to just sort of set out and go, I'm a director, or I'm an editor, or uh, I'm an actor. And then when you, when you, that's your
0: sort of lighthouse focus point. You just make your way towards it. How do you keep yourself inspired? Like, where does your inspiration come from? For if you're like, you know, working on a project here, in general. Yeah. Uh,
1: inspiration's a weird thing. Um, I, I feel like to make this a little bit of a longer story. I feel like when you first start, like you get out of film school and your first like two years, right? In that period of time, you you're absorbing as much as you possibly can you know what do people do what are crew positions like you're watching all these new movies you're being exposed to foreign film you're being exposed to french new wave you're being exposed to all this kind of shit um that is such a a a monolith of information that's just sort of coming in and then i think a lot of people forget that the other side of what we do is business and they go hand in hand so you have, you have to be able to create a great thing, have a sense of style, uh, be able to be inspired at the drop of a dime, uh, and then also interact with clients, realize that you know you have to kill your darlings often and go through that whole process. So for me, I think I didn't learn it until I was like three years out. I, I would start to get asked by people, you know, like, do you have a good music video idea? Or, you know, uh, how would you shoot this commercial? Or what's a good commercial idea? And I, I, it was always sort of a secondary thought on, like, what is my process for coming up with inspiring ideas? Uh, and it's almost like you have to go to a, a creative gym, almost, and work these muscles all the time. Where you're, uh, for me, I, I, I do this thing where, I have a folder, uh, my inspiration folder, which is on my desktop. And I've been uh, adding things to this folder for probably eight years now. And it's, you know, if I see a great photo online, uh, I, I'm members of a bunch of different artist communities, and if I see really great illustrations, or if I see really cool color pieces or compositions, uh, or even just paint characters like real-life characters. I'll take images and just sort of drag them and categorize them in this full, folder of inspiration. And uh, I just want to clarify, it's not a folder that I go into to rip people off on. It's a folder that I go into for just that spark to start. Like if I have to start the fire that is a good idea or an inspired idea, I, I need to find the kindling and and shit to do that. So. Uh, I will often go in and look at like really great portraits of people and go, "Oh, this would be a really cool idea to light someone like this, and then these colors would be a really cool idea and so then you're you're bringing all these elements together uh whenever you get uh a, an offer to do a treatment mm-hmm. like uh, uh whether you're doing advertisement work or even f- studio films or you're doing uh music videos you have to present a treatment of your vision to people. And I think the, the hardest part about being a director is having a great fucking idea in your head, but then figuring out a way to verbalize it and to create imagery for it that uh, a crew of 100 people can look at instantly and understand your tone, understand your perspective, understand all that stuff. So the inspiration folder really comes in handy for that. Like. Uh, A good example of this was uh, years ago, uh, my business partner Ian McFarlane and I uh, were directing music videos for pretty big uh, heavy metal music acts. And uh, one band called Fear Factory, I don't know if you know who Fear Factory is. No, I don't. They were this really cool sort of electronic metal band um, that did like a lot of video game soundtracks for a while. Really cool band. Um, But they were all sort of stuck in this early 2000s Hey, we all love the Matrix. Can we make everything look green and have fluorescent light bulbs swinging over, you know, dudes with long hair fucking thrashing their heads around, <laughs> you know, all that kind of shit? In the beginning, that was fun to do, but then they just sort of hit this point where it was like, man, this scene is really sort of like suffocating. And so we called up uh, the lead singer of this band, and I remember pitching to him. I was like, I see this video with like vibrant color like yellows and blues and reds and like, really sort of beautiful looking color in it. And the whole mentality was like, well, what, ugh, why would we do color? Why would we do that stuff? It's not metal. And my response to him was like, well, it's metal because you guys fucking do it. You know, so it will be metal based upon that. He's like, well, we need to see it. We need to see stuff. So what I ended up doing was going through my folder of inspiration and pulling different images that kind of had that look like images that inspired me to go down that path. And then I also went and I shot some test stuff of like uh, the animation that we wanted to do and what the color palette was. And then they are able to look at it and go, oh, got it. Because, you know, their first thought of it is they're, they're trying to reference something that they've seen before. And they're like, Oh, man. That, that's going to be like, you know, a Justin Timberlake video or something and you're just like, dude Why would I even why would I even think <laughs> that? But then myself as a creator I have to go. Oh, right. They don't they can't see into this crazy brain of mine How do I transition that to paper for them? Um, and I'm, it's we're sort of one off on a little tail here, but it all comes back to where does inspiration come from? I think you got to just do your homework I think you should put together uh, an inspiration folder of sorts, whether or not it's a folder or it's a stack of magazines or it's a fucking shelf with books and shit, um, and constantly be putting that stuff away. Also, all the time, I come up with ideas that I don't know what to do with. And you're going to have the same thing. You're going to just be in the shower one day and go like, fuck this is really cool and I have this really great idea for this and this and you're just not going to know where to put it and oftentimes I would get frustrated because I would try to force it. I'd be like, oh God, I want to do this thing and how do we make this work and I just couldn't find a place for it and I would get really mad about it because it's like, okay, maybe I'm not a good creative, maybe I I just can't pull these things off and what I did was I just started writing them down and I would just write them in books and, and, and put together... I like handwriting stuff, put together in folders and shit. Um, and then what happens is is that thing goes away for a little while and it's written down and it's just sort of cataloged. And then if you go back through your books often and you're reading through those books, you find a home for it. Like something comes to you. Someone will come to you to do a project and you go, oh, oh I had this. Oh, cool. That's where this thing belongs. It's here now. And oh, cool. And boom, boom, boom. So I think that uh, to, th- I think the the notion of, of someone being a fucking genius that just sort of sits in a room clean and someone walks in and goes make me a soap commercial and he goes mm, here you go and he just comes out of his mouth it just doesn't exist like that I think what happens if you're a good storyteller you're taking the elements of your inspiration folder you're taking the elements of previous ideas that you need a home for and then you're also taking elements from people that you know, and from experiences that you live, and from tales that you've heard.
0: One thing that um, I've heard you talk about a decent amount since working with you is how is how different this is from other jobs or careers that you could go down. Like, what makes that that lifestyle different for you? This one.
1: Um. Well, I mean the first. The first thing you you really have to give up a lot, you know. And if you if you if you're in love with like Mercedes or BMWs, then maybe be a producer, you know what I mean. But you, as a as a director or a filmmaker, you're probably never going to have one of those. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, I I think the trick is to keep your overhead as low as possible, and to be smart about how you spend your money don't get pulled into the whole you need to buy this year like you need to own a fucking red to be a director no you don't You're like you you need to have a macbook pro no you it's helpful but you don't need to have one i mean you could have a fucking sketchbook and a pencil and be a director you know and i think you just You also have to be ready to stay self-motivated. There isn't, you don't have a boss, you know? You don't have someone that's like going, all right, it's Monday, be here at nine o'clock and punch in. And then you don't get paid for everything you do. You probably only get paid for maybe, I don't know, maybe the older you get, the more you get paid for. But early on, you're probably gonna get paid for like 30% of what you do. You know, most of it you are going to pay to do. You know, just for the experience, and that's just the way that the business works. Um, but I like for myself. Like I've given up a lot of different things. Like I still live with roommates. I love living with roommates because I find a it's affordable. B I'm still really inspired. I like to be around people. Um, my girlfriend uh, Gina Manning. She's a fashion photographer. So. Uh, she's always got projects going on and, and her and I are always sort of coming together and talking about ideas and inspiring each other. Um, and then uh, I live with uh, Tony and Tony has been, he started as my assistant, Jesus, like eight years ago or something. Uh, and he has become such an important part of the work I do and the work uh, Ian and I do at our company, uh, McFarland Pesci. Um and uh, our other roommate is uh, Jill, and she's a baker. <laughs> she's totally not in the business, which is great, you know? Um, I, I, You just, you're giving up a lot to do what it is that you love, and then you're going to get shit from your parents. You're going to get shit from, like, you know, your family to a certain extent, unless you're lucky enough to have a very supportive family. Um, so just be ready for that. <laughs> That hits that question. I'm making it sound so fucking depressing. It's not. It's not that depressing at all. I mean, it's a fucking cool life. Like, uh, okay, great. I I don't have a BMW. I don't make a ton of money. But in the city of Boston, over the past 14 years, I have literally been able to go into almost every building in this city in one way or another um, from my time as a documentary uh, DP. And I, I did work for Harvard University and they had a alumni uh, documentary program which basically was like, hey, people that went here that give us a lot of money, check out all this cool stuff that we're doing. You know? But the cool thing about it was is that we got to go and do the first piece on stem cell research ever or go in and do all these different things. So uh, to, to, to shorten it up, I, the experiences that you get, uh, people that have these high paying jobs and bankers, Whenever I go do a commercial for them, they're always like, wow, your life must be so cool. And I'm like, dude, you made this year probably three times the amount I made. And they're like, yeah, but your life sounds so fucking cool, you know? And it's true. It is. It's fucking awesome.
0: <laughs> and that's really the stuff that you don't, you don't learn in school. And, you know, I, I haven't really heard from, you know, a course. And that's not to discredit what I have learned because, you know, I think a lot of the like the the theory stuff is definitely important, and I you know can't really do that on my own, but it's it, no one really talks about the the process of getting there. They always talk about the goal, like, you know, what do you want to do? You want to be this job? Well, you know, this is what you're going to have to do to get to that job, but they don't talk about the the other stuff that kind of gets like, you know, yeah, glossed yeah. over.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they didn't teach me that stuff either when I was coming out of it. And then these days, luckily I just went to a very short film program, which I paid off immediately. These days I I feel so bad for uh, students that come out with like massive fucking student loans and you're just like, dude, you're not going to get paid in this business for a long fucking time. And you're going to have to deal with that student loan shit. It's like, and not to scare you, man, but... Uh, that stuff is like, it's, it's a fucking highway robbery. And, and when, I, when I see these advertisements for these film fucking schools and shit, and I'm like, you're an ad like you guys are stealing from these kids because it's not like you go to school and you're going to become a fucking uh, a biochemist or like a, a pharmacist or something that when you step out of there, it's like, okay, cool, I'm making some loot. You know, and then, you know, the plan is that I'll pay off my student loans in like 10 years or five years or something like this is this is like, all right, I I literally walk out of here and I go to work for fucking free, you know, and I I just think it's a fucking sin. This business, I think there are two sides of it. Yes, film theory, super important. Understanding the language of cinema, understanding the structure of story, all those things you either have to be motivated to read about them and learn about them. Or you got to go to classes and learn about them. That's important. But then the technical aspect of doing filmmaking. Like if your goal is to be a gaffer. Or if your goal is to be a sound mixer. Or if your goal is to be any sort of like a, a wardrobe person. There's a lot of stuff that you can learn from the film theory. There's a lot of stuff that you can learn about color, composition, and all that kind of shit. But go fucking work. Like go work. It's like... You almost wish that there was more of a mentorship for this business. It's it's almost like plumbers, where like if you're going to be a plumber, you actually have to spend time with a with a I forget what they call it. Like, it it's not a mentor, but it's similar to a mentor, where you have to uh, go and spend enough time working underneath like a licensed technician. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's apprenticeship. That's it. So you got to go do an apprenticeship before you can become licensed to do that. And. I, I really think that a lot of the technical aspect of this business should be more like that. I think that if you're gonna to go to Emerson to learn how to be a fucking boom op, or you're gonna to go to Emerson to learn how to be uh, you know, a fucking gaffer. Um, that's stupid. Go 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 do it. Like fucking you know, get out of school right now and take that money and and you know, move to wherever you want to move to and then go work,
0: you know? Yeah, the uh... <laughs> The debt talk is definitely, you know, it hits home. It's uh it's a scary stuff because it it, man, it, it builds up, and not knowing, you know, whether, I mean, you're gonna, I guess, be where you want to be, or you're gonna be successful. That's, uh, it's, it's tough.
1: Yeah, and I mean, all I, all I can say is, <laughs> just be ready not to pay it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, just you know, this is the worst financial advice ever. But you know, just. Just go, all right, cool, I'll pay it when I can pay it. You know what? I'll tell you what. I'll write you guys checks when I start getting fucking paid for the craft that you have taken money from teaching me. So I'll write you guys checks at that point. You know, um, And just that's going to be this other stress that's breathing down your neck because you're going to be like, fuck, I got my student loans. Fuck, I got my, my, uh, my rent I got to take care of. Don't let that shit crush the reason why you want to do it. Because at the end of the day, the one thing I've learned is that people hire you for your passion. People hire you for the work that you've done on your own. People hire you for that little project that you built in your fucking garage and that you're so fucking excited about. And then the next thing you know, you're getting hired to do a commercial or you're getting hired to do a film based on that shit. Um, So... I think the most important shit that you're going to do is in the first, within the first five years of your career because you're ultimately going to develop the skills for, you know, how do I stay inspired? How do I stay motivated? Like, how how do I, uh, what is my networking, Um, my social circle? I've created a social circle. All that shit is going to be the stuff that you rely upon when you start getting those bigger jobs. And when that, that huge thing comes down the pike and you just go, oh my God, how, how do I handle the stress of this massive project? Oh, fuck it. It's just like when I did the stuff back when I was a kid. So let me just break it all back down to that. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It's, uh, it's really good advice. I think part of your job on this podcast is to keep me from rambling too much because I tend <laughs> to like to, to go off my of fucking tirades. <laughs> And uh, if anybody in the audience is afraid of uh, bad language, then I'm, I'm, I'm fucking sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wh- okay, let me ask you this. Um, do, you, do you now have a little network of people that you work with as far as uh, when you guys put productions together?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I think, students like me because Suffolk isn't necessarily a film school. But we have a lot of students that want to become filmmakers. So there's definitely a network of people that uh, try to do as much work as they can outside the classroom. Um, And thankfully, I've I've met a lot of great people who have joined the club and, you know, we work weekly on stuff. Um, So it's been great. And there's... Uh, Each person has their own resources and, you know, it's, we're learning right now how to kind of tap into each other's resources and, you know, figure out how we can get stuff done on like zero negative budget.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there, um, okay, so out of your whole career to this point, what's your favorite moment that
0: you've had? Hmm. My favorite moment. It's uh, on the the most recent film that we made. Uh, We were planning to shoot on a baseball field at sunrise. And uh, I ended up contacting an old Little League coach to get some gear that we could um, use for props in the scene. And instead of just giving me, like, you know, a glove and a a bat, he gives me this, like, 25, 30-pound giant catcher's bag <laughs> so at five thirty in the morning i had to lug that thing on the train down like four stops and then walk it like two miles to the field we show up and then the talent's late he slept in <laughs> so we just do it all again the next morning and it sounds really shitty but looking back now it was really <laughs> one of the funniest memories i have <laughs>
1: that's awesome man yeah that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love those moments, dude. Like, you sort of look back as you do this for a while. You know, in the beginning, I would look back and go, all right, so, you know, 2003 was when I did this film. Or, you know, this year was when I did, you know, this music video. And in the beginning, I was really sort of focused on, you know, each project. And the project sort of fucking took over everything. And then the, the goal of finishing that project was the most important thing to do. And as I continued and as I got older and I started to realize that like the end goal really is great and it's the, it's the beacon, but uh, it really isn't as satisfying as one would think. Um, And you start to sort of pay attention to the steps more. Like um, a great example is uh, we did a video for this band called Killswitch Switch, Engage, and we, uh, um, We shot that one out in California. And we shot that with your brother, by the way, who's an actor, with Nick. Um, And uh, originally, the band came to us and they said, hey, guys, we're going on tour to Europe. Uh, We'd love you guys to come with us to Europe. Because we started to fall in love with these guys. Like we, We had a great working relationship. And they're like, come on tour with us and we'll go do performances throughout Europe. And we were like, fuck yeah cool we get to travel we get to go out there and like yep um, and so we had planned this whole thing out we were really excited about it and then the drummer ended up i think he fell off a bike or something and he ended up breaking his leg and the band management called the called us up and they said guys the drummer's not going to go on tour they're getting a replacement drummer to go on tour because he broke his leg so we can't shoot video performance videos with these guys because it's going to have a replacement drummer on the tour and we're like, ah! Oh. And it's one of those moments where the carpet gets pulled up from underneath you, and it happens all the time. And so we're like, that ah, fuck, you know? And uh, he said, but they still want to do a video. Would you guys want to do a performance video? And we were just so not into it. We were just like, god damn it! We were gonna go fucking to Europe and Germany and like all this really great stuff, and now we're just gonna do some fucking performance video here in, here in Boston, you know? And I like couldn't come up with anything. Like the 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 inspiration pool was just pissed. You know what I mean? There's no way that you're gonna get in there. And uh, so we thought about it for a little while. And I remember saying to Ian, I was like, fuck it though, like, like we should travel. Let's do a concept video where we travel. And I've always wanted to go back to California uh, and go down, I think it's a uh, route two or route one, the, the, the highway that runs along the coast. Um, let's do a road movie. That goes down the coast, and then we'll bring a small crew. We'll bring all the guys that were going to come with us to Europe, uh, and uh, we'll we'll hook up with a couple of actors that we know, uh, know as friends and we already love, and let's just make sure that we we put together a team of people that we would want to drive down the coast with, anyways, you know. And he was like, yeah, and then and then that that thought process inspired the a great idea about like a brother who is dying from cancer and he calls up his younger brother and they do one last trip down the coast together and so then uh we called up uh the band and talked to jesse and and, and we were like the song's about loss and the song is about you know i will remember you always and it's a brother going down the coast after his brother died and remembering when him and his brother went down the coast it's gotta be fucking emotional it's gonna be really great and the guys were like, yeah, and then like, send us who we think of actors, and we would we're like, ah, oh, these guys are great. Meanwhile, they're our friends, you know. These guys are really great. And like, oh yeah, they're really great. Um, and uh, so I was like, yeah, they should be driving a convertible uh, Mustang down the coast. And the guy in the band was like,
0: yeah, totally, you
1: know. And we were <laughs> like, cool, we get to rent a convertible Mustang. <laughs> Drive down the coast of California. And so we put this whole thing together, um, and we had a great idea. And the, the, the client was pumped about our idea. And we got to go have fun. And I remember going there early because we, we had to location scout uh, the entire coastline. And, and permits, Ian did such a good job with it. Permitting is such a bastard. In California, you have to have permits anywhere. If you pull a fucking camera out, you have to have permits anywhere in California. And so Ian went through the process of literally permitting every beach and coastline all the way down the coast of California. So he spent like a week calling every town, every office, because we didn't know where we were going to shoot, and we couldn't afford a locations person. So what we did is me, Tony, and our buddy Jarvis, who's the DP, we flew out a week early, rented the car, and drove up and down the coast of California probably six times, and location scouted every beach, every nook, every cranny, and went on this trip together. And so we sort of went on a road trip before your brother got there and the actor got there. So we had already lived the music video and the team got there and we were like, okay, so here's where we're gonna go and here are all the fucking great spots. And, and we even knew the bars to go drinking at and afterwards and, and <laughs> all that stuff. And and we needed an, an interior location, uh, so we found this real piece of shit hotel in Santa Cruz and Santa Cruz is a fucking nightmare. Like it's the, it's the city where, where they shot lost boys and (laughs) it's just like a drug city. It's fucking scary. And there's the boardwalk. It's a nightmare. And, uh, we found this hotel that was on the beach and I remember calling them and their prices were so astronomically low. And I called them up on the phone and the, uh, the owner of the place goes, hey, um, do you guys want the, uh, the bridal suite? And I was like, yeah, well, how much is a bridal suite? And he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's it's like 100 bucks a night. And I was like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the bridal suite, you know. And so we ended up booking this hotel that was a real shady spot that we knew that we could steal scenes from. So we went in and, and I basically talked to the manager. I was like, yeah, I'm to do some photos. And he was like, yeah, and I came out we shoot a music video. Yeah um and then (laughs) tony and i go and we check into this hotel room and it is gross if you go inside and the couch smells like someone died and pissed themselves (laughs) on it (laughs) and then um we were just stunned because the wall had this weird spackle job like it it looked like it had been repaired, and there was this spackle job of like tiny little spackle marks that went up from the wall and up along the ceiling. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And we're looking at it, there were bullet holes. Oh,
0: so it was God. like someone
1: had like fired off a semi automatic <laughs> weapon in that room. Oh, it was so good. And we, we climb into this <laughs> bed, climb into this bed with like cigarette burns on it. And, and then when we shot the video, if you watch that video, this is a sequence where the older brother is in a bathroom, and he's looking in the mirror and his nose is bleeding, and he's sort of dealing with the fact that he's got to go talk to his brother about, you know, death, essentially. And Jarvis, who is lighting for us in that scene, we, we wanted to do it minimalistically and sort of string these uh, LED lights around the mirror. <laughs> and Jarvis is in the bathroom, trying to trying to string these lights around this mirror. And he's putting his hands over the top of the mirror and he goes, oh! He's just screaming in the background, oh, oh, dude! And he pulls out like a crack, a bag of crack. Oh my God. And a fucking needle from behind the mirror. Jesus. (laughs) This was the bridal suite? Yes, yes, yes. Apparently it's like a Kill Bill (laughs) bridal party at this point. But like, yeah, man. And that was such an adventure. Uh, just to wrap it all up, man, that is such an adventure that we got to go on. We didn't make a lot of money on that job, but uh, the the payment that we got in life experience and the payment that we got in camaraderie and the payment that we got in just learning, I mean, I have that story. And that story to me is worth, it's, it's worth gold. And I think that that's the cool part about uh, filmmaking to me is that yeah, we made a great video, and everybody fucking loved that video, and it was probably one of our, our, our most acclaimed pieces that we did, but I didn't even really care about that. Uh, ultimately, I before that video was even edited, I had already been paid in life experience.
0: It makes me want to go drive down that, that highway on California. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the most
1: beautiful places, man. And, and, you know, as we continue this series, I hope that... Um, uh, my goal is not to just, just have this be you and me sitting in a room talking, because I, I think that could get fucking boring. So my my goal is to have us chat with um, a bunch of people that I've worked with, a bunch of people that I want to work with, um, and uh, friends of mine that are in this business. And then I, lo- I want to know about how they stay motivated. Um, I also hope that the conversations that we spark, you'll hear more stories like that, um, And then I'm pumped to have you along the road with us. I would say consider yourself a a good part of this thing. And at any time or any point, you're more than welcome to jump in and ask questions. And I'm going to introduce you as a part of this thing for that reason, because I just don't want this to be a couple of of middle-aged veterans sort of sitting in a room talking about the good old days, you know, fuck that, you know, so... I'm pretty excited about where we're going to go, and I think for the first episode or the second episode, if we could see this the first, I think we should talk to my buddy Shreder Reddy, who I went to film school with, and I think that'll give you a, a better idea of how things started for me, at least, and things started for him, and he's fucking awesome, man. He's a filmmaker. He's done multiple features. Uh, he owns a publishing company. They do comic books. Um, he can really give you some really cool insight and stuff
0: cool I'm excited to be a part
1: of it yeah man I'm pumped you're here too Um, And I think this is probably a good spot to stop Uh, so that's our first episode so those of you at home um, I think we're going to try to do this uh, once a month uh, just because you know we all we're filmmakers so we're doing other things at the same time but we're going to try to put it out regularly for you guys um, and uh, let us know what you think and And uh, thanks for listening. This podcast could not happen without the support of our sponsors. This episode was brought to you by my good buddies at Puget Systems. If you're a filmmaker or photographer and looking to upgrade your system and that price tag on the Mac trash can makes you choke, I would definitely go and visit PugetSystems.com. Check out their post-production packages. I have two custom-built 4K edit systems in my office that are running the Adobe Creative Suite, and they are lightning fast. Not only are these machines affordable, meaning that you can pay them off a lot quicker and start making profits from them sooner, but Puget's customer service is so much better than Apple's. A real person answers the phone when you call. They literally can pull up your specs and walk you through any issues. Let me say it again. A real person answers the phone. Go to PugetSystems.com and tell them that Mike Pesci sent you. Then have those guys build you that monster machine you need to bring your stories to life. This episode is also brought to you by McFarlane and Pesci. If you want to see all the cool stuff that Ian and I have been working on, head over to McFarlandandPesci.com or follow us on Instagram. We are now posting all sorts of news and clips for the upcoming film, The Godfathers of Hardcore, which Ian is directing. This is a really cool in-depth look on the band Agnostic Front and aging musicians. It's a very beautiful film and I cannot wait for you guys to see it. If you want to see the actual practice of the stuff I preach about on this show, go to McFarlandandPesci.com. For future updates on this podcast and to watch the videos we produce, go to mikepetchy.com and click on the In Love With The Process link. Also follow us on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast to get a nifty notification when the new stuff goes live. I also wanted to point out that the track that you're listening to right now underneath this was done by uh, my buddy Code Electro. Uh, he's part of that new retro wave movement that has been around for a few years, and it's awesome. So definitely go check him out. He is Code Electro. Thanks for listening, guys.